Welcome to episode 40 of the Cowcast, Shop Talk on Location. Alright, welcome back. I am Eric. I am James. And we are sitting in the luxurious accommodations of the Holiday Inn Express here in Niles, Illinois. Uh, we are in town getting ready for the C2E2 convention with the Diamond Retailer Summit ahead of that. And uh, we figured, you know what, since we actually have some time where we are forced to not be in the shop. <laughs> we have to cohabitate too. <laughs> That's right. Um that we thought, you know what, this would be a great opportunity to maybe put out a couple episodes. So That being said, excuse the very close-sounding planes and loud trucks at the uh, highway right outside. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think they're used to random sirens and trucks outside, or motorcycles That's outside true. the shop. But <laughs> Not a lot of low-flying planes, though. <laughs> no, we try no and keep those out of Oconomowoc, yeah. But, um, so anyways, we wanted to kind of jump in and talk about uh, a topic that was emailed to us by our friend James Rayner who is uh, the co-host on the Weekly Comic Spotlight with John Mayo. So if you haven't listened to that, go jump over there and listen to those guys talk about uh, three new books each week, one Marvel, one DC, one indie. They put out significantly more podcasts than we do. <laughs> yeah, if you want something more regular, you're going to want to go there. Uh, but James sent over uh, some thoughts posted recently by Justin Jordan, who is uh, he's a pretty mainstream creator right now. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people know who he is. And well, he he kind of started with his, uh, or I guess he got noticed really uh, because of his Luther Strode series, and I think that was that was an image book, right? Yeah, yeah. He did. Um, I know he did a couple other image books. He did uh, wrote some crossed for Avatar, um, but he's an I we've met him. He's yep. a nice guy. Very I mean, nice. Um, we talked to him at well, hell, it was C two E two last year. That's we right. talked to him for a little while and. That's right. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a nice guy, and he's got that beard that you can't miss, you know. <laughs> so we, we enjoy his, his writing, and we uh, we enjoyed the time we spent talking to him. So I think yeah. um, Justin Jordan's a guy that when he's – after Eric reads what he said, you know, he's he's got a little bit of uh, weight behind him to right. have this opinion. Right. So I'm going to read kind of word for word literally what his post said. And then we're going to kind of just go back and forth and talk a little bit about it. So uh, the post was called The Creator-Owned Problem. And Justin writes, My last few creator-owns have performed fairly to very meh as singles. It's not, I'm pretty sure that the books are bad, reviews and reader reactions seem to indicate they aren't, or that they're not commercial. It's a combination of various things that vary from book to book. Right now, the market for image singles is really rough, pretty much across the board. Now, trades seem to do mostly fine for me, and for whatever reason, my image stuff in particular seems to have a long tail. And indeed, the family trade did pretty well for pre-orders and such, and vastly better in the bookstore market. Still, this puts me in a position where I'm somewhat wary of pitching things because I'm getting tired of burning ideas. That's not to say I'm stopping. I'm pitching three things in April, for instance, and I hope they get greenlit and do well. But it's a bummer. My career is going pretty well money-wise this year, although I'm down like 25 grand of work I expected to have. I'm fortunate enough that this is merely depressing and devastating. But the market being what it is causes me a fairly significant amount of stress. This is why I need to work harder at marketing and getting people into my sphere. It's just, he whined, hard to do that when stuff isn't going especially well. I'm trying to move towards GNs, graphic novels, as I think that's where the market 
is. But I'm also trying to branch out towards more film and television work if I can, because as of late, it feels very much like the sky is falling. But ultimately, I think there's a market for the books I put out. I just need to be able to find it. So that's his post. Um, We've talked a little bit in the past about indie publishers, and image in particular, in our Mm -hmm. store, and and how it works. But um, I've had a little bit more time to noodle on this, because I've had this in my inbox for longer than I'd like to admit, maybe like eight days, nine days. Well, I think think we've covered... I would say we've at, at some point in the last thirty nine episodes we've covered almost all of this in some way, shape, or form. Right. Um, but the now speaking of Justin Jordan, mm-hmm. he's got and let's just tie this together. You've got your Aftershock shirt on. I do. And he had uh, what was the book he just did for Aftershock? Uh, that's a great question. Let me look it up real quick. Well, normally this stuff would come to mind quicker, but it has been a long day for both of us, and it. It's pretty late as it, it stands. Backways. Uh, Backways. Back that's it. Backways. Uh, it just came f- out. Issue four just came yeah, out. Yeah, just I think. came out uh, yes, uh, Wednesday, yesterday, today. So, oh God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> today. Yeah. If that's any indication as to how we've been going <laughs> the last couple of days, oh my lord. Anyhow. And we, by the way, we got a ton of snow this morning. Yeah. Uh, so that was fun, um, and that. Uh, that just delayed all of our plans today. Anyway, um, you know, I think the big thing we talked a lot about uh, three or four episodes ago: who are comics being made for? Right. And um, one of the things that we we sort of just nudged around the the uh, companies that had people wanting to write a new way to simply own the property and get it. Optioned right now, and now he's—you said he said that in there talking about transitioning to working in films and movies. Yeah, at see, I think that that's something that—that's the end goal. If you are tremendously successful, you're a Brian K. But even Vaughn did it. Even Brian K. Vaughn, I think he was writing on Lost. Uh, The less said about that, the better. Brubaker's writing on Westworld, and uh, which is a great show. Uh, He also, I guess, was which. The only person who could really get me to check out a remake of Maniac Cop would be Brubaker because I love the original. Um, more to the point, I th- tie a bunch of threads together. About he feels like he's burning ideas, that he has this idea that that's a story that he really wants to tell, and then he puts it out there and it falls flat, and nobody nobody cares, nobody reads it, or a very small amount of people care, a very small amount of people read it. Um, I guess I can understand how he's feeling like it is a maybe a wasted idea. Right. Now, that got me to thinking about... A wasted idea in the sense that he's not getting a fast return on that investment. I'm using air quotes because his investment of time well, and thought. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, more to the point, if it's a really good idea, I think um, even a little validation right. would go a long way and not necessarily just the monetary uh, side of things. But... I wonder if this leads into a larger problem that we didn't address in the Who Comics Are Being Made For episode, which is with a lot of these ideas that, that he's talking about, oh, I did this, I tried it, it didn't work, I, I burned this idea, um, would, I mean, are we seeing a humongous lack of new, really original, great non-creator-owned superhero stories because these creators are taking stories that maybe they did create or build or develop around 
a big two character or franchise or property and say, well, I can do this on my own right. and own it. You know, and maybe with some of these ideas that Jordan had, if are we missing out on him writing, you know, did he have what could have been the big challenges of the unknown story? You know, could it have been his Tom King's vision or could it have been a, a, a really cool, big, original X-Men story or Nightwing or whatever? Um, I wonder if we're seeing this mass exodus of original ideas from superhero comics because everybody wants to, to go to the creator own side of things. And if that's the yeah. case, um, we, you know, is there ever any way to get it full circle to come back where people have this really killer idea and they don't sit on it and say, well, I want to be the next Kirkman. Well, so that brings into, well, yeah, that really opens up Pandora's box for discussion. Doesn't it? Because what caused people to go to image or, or create image, I should say, in the image revolution and the independent revolution was the fact that these guys were creating characters and they really weren't seeing the royalties off of it because they were hired guns as a contract work, essentially, as opposed mm-hmm. to uh, IP ownership. And I think that we've started to come industry-wise, we've started to come full circle on that. And we see things like DC and Marvel making royalty checks to creators who are creating new characters and, you know, seeing evergreen titles start to proliferate and things like that. And so that question, I think, that you just asked is really valid in will we see that flip where the big two start to get that that talent back and that creativity back? And obviously a great example of... Bringing some of that in-house is Donny Cates at Marvel right now with the Cosmic Ghost Rider and things like that where you're seeing these new creative juices flowing um, and they're kind of reinvigorating franchises. And Donny Cates obviously got his start really with Image mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden with Marvel has started to really blossom. Well, let's use Tom King. I, I had said Vision. Yeah. Now, Tom King could have taken that Vision story and made it a... He could have used any kind of vanilla Android for yep. that. And the now the background that you get from Marvel certainly enriched it. And and that is the point. But he could have he's a good enough writer where he could have told that story through image mm-hmm. or Aftershock or what whoever. Vertigo, if they were still putting books out. Um and uh and he didn't do it and it got acclaimed because it was it was like, wow, this is a great series about the vision of all characters. You know, Marvel's putting out some right. really great stories. And then that got King. That's the book that essentially got him snapped up to write the, the number one top tier book at DC. Right. Which is also their best selling book. And I, it, what is it? If the argument is I want to, I want to take these ideas so I can get optioned and I want to be on the red carpet and whatever, and build as a producer in a movie or a TV show. Is the is that the the ultimate goal, or is the ultimate goal financial? Because if it is, then maybe taking that tremendous story to one of the big two, and telling it the right way, and telling the next Tom King's vision, maybe you tell that story at DC, and then Marvel calls you up and puts you and wants to put you on like Donny Cates. I mean, there are success stories now that, that there are. I shouldn't say now; there always have been. I mean, that's how the big two have pulled their their top. Writers and artists, they they pull them off of independent books. Brubaker, Bendis, all those guys. Um, But are are we going to see and should we and do we need to see kind of the anti-image revolution 
And is that more where the pendulum's swinging to? Now, he talked about his image books and the return on image. We've talked about that before, yeah. and we've talked about how Image is still putting out some great product, but they're putting out too much of it. They're putting out similar product. Or they're not highly finishing... specialized product. Sure. And they're not finishing a lot of stories. Right. Um, and that's not... They finish... Obviously, they finish far more than than they leave unfinished. And that's not always a fair thing to say. I think... And finished uh, and, or unfinished in the sense of two where they stop after the first trade. Where there could be Or a second lot more or third. Or you have... Go. Okay, so like a lot of the Hickman stuff... Or um, Nowhere Men. Uh, or what was the other one that the Nowhere, Nowhere Men team did? Uh, well, it was like Eric Stevenson and... Um, was that... Uh, it was obviously an image book about yeah. like, like mutants or something. Anyway, yeah. long story short, it was, it was a big hit at our store and then we just never Go had on. any more. So I wonder... I don't know. I mean, that's kind of my, my thought is, has Image... Has, and that that style of we are the creator owned um, they, they image to me kind of when they came out they were like rock stars with with Liefeld and McFarland right. and everybody Jimmy. and they were not they didn't image didn't start by telling these stories they started by having the big kind of bombastic top tier. Art talent stories were obviously second. Nobody's going to dispute that in the right. early image years, and then image sort of uh, for a while almost you know became the equivalent of like a music indie label, and the stuff that they were putting out, they weren't selling a lot of it. Right. Uh, but I mean a real indie label now stuff that now indie is just a whole it's a, it's a label of a, a type of music. Oh, it's indie music. Right. Now image is sort of that that uh, comic equivalent of. They had been an indie label, and now they're just a big label that puts out indie-style music that all kind of sounds the same, and occasionally one band will sound a lot better than the rest, but there's so much out there that a lot of it gets lost in the shuffle. Now, Oblivion Song did really well for us because of Kirkman, but you know the people that bought it in our store, I can tell you firsthand, some of them were buying them to read them, but if you were buying them, if you were coming in and buying three to five copies of Oblivion Song number one, you're not... I guarantee you none of those people were buying them to give out to their coworkers or their right. friends. They're buying them as a speculation book. And if I recall correctly, the overprint on that book was like fifteen to 20000 It was, it was tremendous. Big. I think it's still in stock to order first prints of diamond. They said there would be no second print, but I don't think anybody's going to need one. Right. So Oblivion Song was a hit, but it was a hit in the, in the context of our discussion for the wrong reasons. Well, and we see a lot of that with image titles. We see a lot of people get on the first Im- first issue yeah. and then stop. Well, do you remember when Seven to Eternity hit its high of like the first issue was selling for? I remember seeing it sell it's for like, like seventy to seventy five bucks. Eighty bucks, I think I saw. It was yeah. crazy. And now you can get you can get it dirt cheap. Yep. And it it burned bright and then it faded away quick. Yeah, and that was part of it too. Was an artist change after the first arc I think was kind of its downfall. <sighs> yeah, I well, I all I think that did was add something on that. That people could kind of use to shy away from the larger problem that image. If if Justin Jordan, an image creator, is saying that his image sales and single issues are down, I don't think that us saying it is going to ruffle any feathers. And and honestly, no. it's. I think most people would tend to most stores would tend to agree with us. There are a lot of stores that do things. 
differently than we do because they're in different areas. They push yes, different things. a different clientele, absolutely. And another thing that we've discussed before is that we could really try to push um, – and we did it really well with uh, Gideon Falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did surprisingly well with that book. Is it going to hold? I don't know. And is a lot of that, again, that we had people buying one of all of the variants. So if we had 10 people buy the book, but half of those people buy the A, B, and C cover – Right. You know, we're artificially inflating those numbers of, of the potential it, readership. Theoretically, yeah. So um, I guess my thought is with, with what they're putting out now um, and with what Justin Jordan said and what a lot of shops are saying, is it worth our time and investment to spend – if we have three people that come in and they say, can you, what can you tell me is a really great book? And we want to, and we go, man, this book, um, what's, what's the new image number one that just came out? Analog, was that image? Isola. Isola. And we go, Isola just came out from image, really great book. And let's say that we're, it's a new property. Uh, and we're talking to the, to, to the cus- potential customer and we're saying, Isola, this is a great book. This is the, um, this is the plot, really cool plot. Um, it's, uh, right now it's built as an ongoing series, which means one will come out a month. Um, really neat. Uh, this is the writer. This is what he's done. And they'll go, okay, maybe. And then we've got to think, well, if we sell them on this book and they buy the first issue and they really like it, and then they buy the second issue and they like it, and the third issue gets delayed, and then the first five issue arc wraps up, and maybe we don't get a sixth issue for a year would we have been better off just spending that same amount of time saying hey you should jump on the the newest run of or the newest spider-man arc because you know who the green goblin is and you know who carnage is now they're together and they're fighting spider-man and it's called the red goblin check it out really cool right we know that spider-man's not gonna not ship for six months ghost rider right It, it comes down to it's easier for us to sell known properties and known commodities and I think that that's a really key distinction because what you see with Image, every month, five to ten number ones, right? You've got a smattering of, in air quotes, ongoing titles. Some are on trade break. Some are on a forever break. Some are on we don't know what. <laughs> um, whereas with Marvel and DC, by and large, unless it's a title that they're going deep on for some reason, like a Deadpool where they're doing two or three ongoing series, or little one um, uh, miniseries things, mm-hmm. By and large, when a title ends, they start another one. They, they try not to run too many concurrent titles right. in the same continuity with the same character at the same time. Elseworlds, that's D- a different DC discussion. does that. but And so it's one of those things where you kind of have – you tend to have more of a replacement aspect as opposed to a building on Al- replacement. Although I, I will say Marvel is getting better. Yeah. Right well, they listen much to better. retailer feedback right. over the last right. year and a half. They're still not there, but they're getting much better. But yes, I mean those the two, the big two, and even you know like Dark Horse. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use Dark Horse as an example. I'm a Brian Wood fan. I like Rebels. I like Briggs Land, and he's got the mentality of I'm gonna do you know an arc. Mm -hmm. I want to tell my story in this one, and then the next one's gonna be a new number one for the next arc. But that first one that stopped. You know, like there, there's not this continuous building of how many how many titles do I have to track down and right. And so I think that that's what happens with some of the back half publishers, but especially with Image, is that there's just so many potential ongoing things that a, a 
a end customer has to balance in their mind because they're trying to remember, like, well, what's still ongoing? Is that still ongoing? And they'll ask us. And, and there's honestly times where we go, we don't know. We, we think so. The computer says it is. I, well, we don't know. We don't have any confirmation. And it just adds to a lot of the confusion. And, you know, I, I think that that is a detriment to a publisher that's so varied. It is the house of ideas, but if your ideas start to meld together and your ideas don't come out on time, it makes it harder. Yeah, it's not any, it's not even a, a question of, of the quality of the stories. Sure, right. It's more like if you took a random person off the street and tried to get them in into the next big budget, cool sci-fi HBO show, or you tried to get them to watch whatever the next six-part masterpiece theater adaptation was going to be on PBS, what do you think is going to be easier to get them to watch? You know, the HBO right. one. And that's kind of the problem in comics is that we want to push a lot of these books, but there's not – we don't have the, the safety net on this stuff. It's it's riskier for us to push these books than it is to push Marvel and DC. Right. Now, with with that though, we're talking about the – the monthlies, or they want them to, or we hope they're monthly. Right. We're not talking about the trades because the trades are a bit of a different beast. Now, with trades, we sell more image trades, I would say, month in and month out than we do Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not counting like the specialized trades, like people ordering Omnibus, which we have a surprising amount of. Right. Omnibus and things like that. Right. You too. Um, <laughs> but. Image does sell better in trades. And it's not just Saga and Walking Dead. I mean, no, we can sell people on a Hickman trade. Well, and let's be honest. We've talked about it before. We did and still do great with Revival. Yeah, we pushed that. And now the series is over. Right. But it does really well in in trades. And a lot of that has to do with price point. $9.99 to $14.99 is a lot better than $24.99 to $29.99 with Marvel. Yeah, it's again, it's more... I think a trade for an independent book like that is just seen as a lot more digestible yeah. than – I think people kind of see – it's like you you hit these um, you hit these kind of goalposts for a lot of people where I'm kind of on the fence about jumping into the first issue of this book. But then they see that there's a trade of something similar from Image and they go, well, at least this book got to issue five or six. The first arc is done. It's out. I can read it. Mm-hmm. It's probably $9.99, although they are kind of scrapping that. For a lot of books, yeah. now we should we should mention that nine ninety nine price point on Image uh, Volume One trades is one hundred percent decided. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall being told by several different people that that is absolutely decided by the creative team. Yeah, right. Because things like Black Monday Murders, I think, is either fourteen mm-hmm. or sixteen ninety nine, but they're all double size issues. Um, no, that that's all. I think that's all decided by the creative team, but I think there is an urging, like a, a strong you should consider by image itself to say, hey, right. we've noticed in the marketplace this gets us a lot of traction. I think part of the reason, too, why an image trade sells better than maybe a Marvel trade in some instances or is more likely to have people jump on is because you've got two differing mindsets. So with a Marvel trade or DC trade, Valiant trade... Um, you have a potential for a connected universe. You've got a longer continuity history. Image titles, if you're looking at the first volume, 
It's a brand new product, right? So there shouldn't be a lot of outside continuity to have to worry about. Additionally, we see newer readers hedging towards image, not all the time, but there's a good chunk of them that are going to image because they're new to comics and they don't want the burden of the continuity. So it's easier to jump them on there. And it's easier to say, hey, maybe you've never read a comic before. This is a quality one, let's say a saga volume one. This is the first trade. It's the first story or the first episode, if you want to think of it. And it helps them understand that there's a... Right now, the creative way mm-hmm. of doing it is writing to an arc as opposed to a single issue. So you're able to give them a full story. Well, so when, all when those I things, describe those saga, especially when I describe that to people, I, I, if there's someone who hasn't been into comics and doesn't understand the way that it works... I describe the, the trade volumes like seasons. I go, this is, right. think of this as season one and season two and season three versus if you had to explain somebody wants to jump into the X-Men trades. Right. Well, if you really <laughs> want to start at the beginning, here's Marvel Masterworks X-Men volume one. Uh, you got a lot ahead of you. You know, there's, there's not, there are a lot of different entry points, but there's not that one concrete entry point and some people might i mean how many people are you really going to hook on x-men by handing them the first uh 10 issues of the the stan lee stuff you it's classic stuff to us we love it but it's not going to hook a new reader in the modern generation even giving them even starting them a giant size number one which to us is, is leaps and bounds storytelling and art wise ahead of the original um no slight on Kirby. He's no. my favorite anyway. But um, that might even be a little too uh, archaic in its writing style for a lot of new readers. And then you kind of have uh, tons of jumping on points for people. Unfortunately, you know what the number one best-selling Wolverine trade is? is Old Man Logan. Right. Well, once somebody reads that, where do you go? You know, I mean, it's, we sell a, a great amount of that, but then... We go, okay, well, here's you just read Old Man Logan that that you've seen in all the lists of like the best Wolverine stories. Uh, if you like that, well, here uh, here's a, a Chris Claremont Frank Miller miniseries of Wolverine that it's like 25 years older than that, you know, or whatever it is, and uh, read that, and then people are like, well, that's what's the deal, you know? How did right. how did he get from here to Old Man Logan? You go, Old Man Logan is kind of a what if story. And they go, well, what is that? And it's it's hard for people when they have these lists out there of the, right. the books that they should read. We had somebody who read Superman Red Sun and came in afterwards and they wanted to know where the story went from there. And I said, it didn't. It's a, it's wrapped up. It's what they call an Elseworlds story, kind of uh, an alternate reality. And they're like, oh, that's it? So I don't have to get any more? And I'm like, well, there's a lot of great Superman stories out there that like, oh, there's nothing else with this Superman? And I said, well, not really. No. Um and they're kind of bummed out, you know. It, it's it's just tough when, and that's not again. It's on us to to do our job to get these people to like a book, and right. and you say if you like that, you should try that. Right. But I'm just talking about simply from the perspective of what is offered out there to try to get readers to try something, specifically new readers. Image image has everything, and that Marvel and DC do not. DC has a good leg up with Rebirth right now over Marvel. Yeah. Because you can jump in with a volume one of anything with with Rebirth on it. 
and you're essentially kind of starting from the beginning and it's anywhere from, you know, uh, four to six trades to get you caught up to what's on the shelf right now. So we've had uh, a much easier entry point with Rebirth to getting people to, to buy the first volume of Batman Rebirth right. by Tom King, buy the subsequent five trades or whatever, and then catch up with what's on the shelf. Right. And, and I guess too with Rebirth, it does, they do a good job of, People can come back and go, well, I'm kind of interested in this character. Where do they come from? Well, then we can take them back to that point in time where that character was created or major plot point for that character, things like that. And, well, from a publishing standpoint, though, the other thing that Rebirth has is uniform trade dress. So Rebirth books all stand out on the DC shelf. Right. Or... White spine with the blue top and bottom. Yep. if, If you were to take the Rebirth books or Rebirth trades and give them their own shelf... That one shelf is going to look really nice and uniform compared to everything below it or above it. Right. And that makes it a lot easier to sell it to somebody. Um, comics, I mean, if you look at it. The other. Yeah, well, I was ahead. just going to say when, when I was a kid, and certainly I think this is uh, something that the younger generation miss out on. You know, my friends and I would ride our bikes to whatever the video rental store was. Well, right and then spend, and there are two things that don't happen as much. That's true. <laughs> and you'd spend. Um, an hour and a half looking around at, at like the cool, you know, you sometimes you you try to make sure that the clerk wasn't looking and you and your friends would go into like the horror section and look at the back of the the zombie movies or whatever. But you you'd look around for an hour and a half and you'd, you'd find whatever movie looked coolest, usually like a really bad action movie, and you'd bring it home and you'd you'd put it in the VCR and you'd watch it. And if it sucked, it sucked, but you watched it. You right. know, it was an hour and a half. And I'd like to think of. Now, what image, that old video store mentality is what Marvel and DC have on their trades right now. Yeah. You look around, you might find something cool. Image is Netflix, where there's a lot of cool stuff. It's laid out well. Uh, you've got your volume ones that correspond to like to like a season. It's easier for people to sit down and binge something. And there's there's positives to both. Right. But ultimately, between the two of them, pe- people don't do the video store thing anymore. People don't go in and spend two hours pulling all these trades and hardcovers out and reading the back. And go, oh, uh, what's what is this? Um, uh, you know, DC one million or what is this or what is that? They don't just sit there and read all that. So we don't see it at least. I mean, we're only yeah. you know talking about our own experience, but. People are a lot more likely to pull something out that says volume one, yep. and it's got a couple of blurbs by, uh, here's a, a review by Kevin Smith, here's a review by J.J. Abrams, and here's a review from whoever. Yeah, I'll check this out. And Josh there's only, Sweden. sure, and there's only seven more of them to read after that. Um, that's, that's the way that I sort of think of, think of the, the publishing companies with, with their trade offerings. And I, I don't think either one of them is good or bad, but I, like I said, I can tell you what we sell a lot more of. Right. And if you were to compare Netflix to Video Country or Pick a Flick Video, I can tell you which one's still around. Right. Right. Not that Marvel and DC is are going anywhere, but as far as owning the trade market, and it, and it goes back to what Justin Jordan um, was. I mean, tying all of this together, Justin Jordan was saying that graphic novels are where it's at. And I was actually going to say, that's the next step we have to talk about. Right. But I don't know. You know, he's... See, original graphic novels are tough. Right. And that's what I was just going to point to. is like there there are some that are... And, and it depends on the market, too. They perform differently in different markets. So things like Raina Telgemeier, 
March, those types of OGNs, they tend to do really good in a mass media setting, you know, a mass market setting. So Amazon's, Barnes and Noble, whatever it be. In the individual comic store, not as well, especially for us when they're stacked up against superheroes, because that is the main niche of our particular store. But you talk about someone like a Jim Starlin who does a Thanos OGN, that's going to do really well. But again, it depends on where you are because if we were on, if we were on a university campus, we're going to sell a lot more copies of March than we're going to sell of the new uh, Starlin Thanos OGN. Though, I mean, that's just the way that it works. You have to, right. you have different demographics in the areas that that you're located. Um, but I don't, I don't know OGNs. I'm trying to think of the last one that did really, really well for us. Well, we were just talking to someone tonight about a book that's aborted. Single issues and gone to OGNs. Astro City will be going to yeah. Well, no, yeah, they'll be going to graphic novels. And on top of that, Otis, oddly normal, went from oh, single yeah. issues to trades. So I mean, well, Otis it's is not a little uncommon. bit of a. I think Otis is a different, slightly different breed. And I don't know if it's one hundred percent applicable to this conversation, simply because he was, it was a very niche targeted book, and it was digest sized, so it stands out in the market in a totally different way it, it almost feels more like the format of a of a young adult slash children's book like something that you would pull off the shelf in a scholastic book fair which i'm sure yeah. is a lot of what he was going for now you couldn't have a i mean i don't see a mature readers brian k vaughn book pulling off that same format because he's not trying to reach that right. demographic right but yeah, no, no, it's it's an interesting, and then you uh, well, then you take Brian K. Vaughn and you go to Panel Syndicate. You say Private Eye, Barrier, things that were mm-hmm. released digitally. Um, some sometimes it's in in a you know weekly or monthly facet. Sometimes people will drop their digital content just like Netflix. Boom, there's the whole thing. Binge it, um, and then you print it, and so you go from digital straight to bound, trade, hardcover, whatever it is, um, it is kind of an interesting discussion. And I guess that begs the question for you, if Justin Jordan's next independent project comes out at a, let's let's play it a couple of different ways here, comes out as a 999 OGM with 124 pages or whatever, how do you stock that compared to a new Justin Jordan number one image title? That's three ninety nine for the first issue. Well, again, though, it, it comes down to an it comes down to an investment of time for us because ultimately we have to we have to be the ones that are selling a book more than a book sells a book. But right. books that sell themselves are great because they help us. Right. They're, they are they take a, that away from us so we can do other things. Right, they're a valuable tool, um, and. The small amount of times that we do have to work to sell a doomsday clock, okay, whatever. I mean, it's it's easy enough. Right. I think uh, if you look at the cost-benefit analysis for us trying to sell, trying to upsell a Justin Jordan 999 OGN to somebody – Versus spending the same amount of time to try to get them to buy the first issue of a 399 22-page book. The upside is we've sold them a $10 book. Right. 
and it's we got the money right up up front. You know, we don't have to convince them to come back and buy issue two, three, four. The downside is we have to convince them to buy a ten dollar book right. and not try a three ninety nine first issue. So that's where I was going to go. Was at nine ninety nine now. Say that same book is fourteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine. Mm-hmm. You know that adds the difficulty, like you were saying. Now you have to sell that. So <clears throat> I have no no issue if creators want to go to the OGN route. Mm-hmm. It makes total sense. The question is, will if we go to that route more and more, will there be a natural price break in the industry where people say this is too much, this is too little? But you know, there's and this is as an aside kind of makes me think of the conversation that we just had in the grocery store where I was looking at the, so the because of the tax in Chicago, the beer is a great deal more expensive than it is in Wisconsin. If we know anything in Wisconsin, it's our beer. And the funny thing is it's the same exact beer that we can get in Wisconsin that's brewed in Chicago. Well, yeah, I was looking at the <laughs> Goose Island, which is $3 more for a six-pack in Chicago than it is in Wisconsin. I was like, this stuff is from Chicago, but we pay less for it in Wisconsin. Um, but either way, like I was complaining about having to spend $9.99 on a six pack from the grocery store when we had just come from a little we came from a- soiree at yeah. the retailer summit where we bought somebody a $25 glass of scotch and you paid $4.50 for a soda. And beers were nine dollars uh, minimum, and I thought, you know, here I am complaining <laughs> about Maybe spending ninety nine <laughs> more cents to get this. But if we were still there, I would have no problem shelling out for another nine dollar beer. And I wonder how um, how much that works for changing people's perceptions on things like a lot of people have no problem going in and spending. Um, 1999 to get the digital download of the new Stephen King novel when that comes out or whatever it is or Stephen King who who's re- he was really really uh ahead of his time as far as releasing when he put out it was it the green mile that he put out in chapters like he released you had to bait, buy, Sounds right. buy by the chapter I think that was the one um and it's not like that hadn't been done since the you know the 20s but He's, I mean, nobody did that for the longest time. And then he sort of started putting this, these books out, like, but chapter by chapter. And it was cheap. It was like $2.99 or $3.99. You'd, you'd buy these, but he had the fan. There were many authors that could do that, but he did. And now there's a lot of writers that do that. Right. They'll just do it digitally, though. Nobody's right. going to go in the store to do it, but you can get, here's the new chapter. It's $2.99. You pick it up. Um, so there's a lot of people that have no problem going on uh, whatever. PDF site, audiobook site, or whatever they use. Yep, their Kindle or whatever. Yeah, to, to get the newest thing for nineteen ninety nine for a digital copy. But those same people will complain about spending nineteen ninety nine to own a physical copy of something. And and I see that and I hear it a lot mm-hmm. from people. And and it's it's kind of weird how the entire paradigm has changed for video games. Where I remember just and you and I are total uh, outliers in this whole thing. In that the last video game system I bought was a Dreamcast. Yep. And what the hell do you even own? My last video system that I bought was my 360, but that was bought for a very special purpose. And outside of that... Oh, you're way ahead of me then. I So I go from an NES to the 360. Sure. 
I think I had a PS1 in there. Well, either way, we don't play... We're not on Xbox One. We don't play video games. I haven't turned my 360 on in three years. Who am I kidding? So we're not out buying new games. No. But we're friends with a lot of people that are. And I can tell you this. I mean, I remember when uh, my old roommate, before I was married... Your new roommate is a lot better than your old roommate. Just saying. In every way. Trust me, I know. (laughs) Um, He used to complain all the time about who, what kind of an idiot would spend... $50 $50 to get a, a digital version of a game when you could actually own the real thing for $50. You know, he's like, I'd pay $10 if I didn't have to go to the store and, and buy it and I could download it, but I wouldn't pay $50. And now you get more people to download them than go out and buy a physical copy. Or a lot of times they'll go out and buy a physical copy, and a physical copy of a game is basically just like a an access code, mm-hmm. and you have to download the whole thing anyways. So it's weird how that perception has shifted. It's social engineering. But that perception has shifted with a generation to where that is now the norm. Right. And what what is it going to, you know, have we seen that with digital in a way where getting a digital download of something is seen as sort of the smart thing to do and going out and buying a physical copy of it is like, why, you know, why would you do that? Why do you want this big book on your shelf right. when you could have this data on your device and I could have a, a hundred thousand uh, books like that on my so tablet. Much like uh, DVDs and digital copies now where you get the Blu-ray digital copy in a pack, mm-hmm. Marvel Comics have a digital download code. DC 399 books have a digital download code. So there is that component to the big two. Yeah, but Marvel... Changed theirs, remember? Nope, they changed it back. They changed it back. I yeah, didn't know. After like three months, they got so much blowback that they changed it oh, back. Wow. Yeah, it was not cool. Um, anywho, but so I'm when it comes to music, I am new age. I I buy the MP. Well, I guess I'm not new age. That'd be vinyl again. I am MP3. I just I buy the digital song or album depending mm-hmm. on what it is, and that's it. For <clears throat> for movies, I tend to do the the Blu-ray and digital code because. I, let's face it, I can buy those through Amazon or whatever and pay maybe $2 more than what it is just for the digital one. But I see now, yeah. I wouldn't say, because I've been buying vinyl since the, well, not really, since the mid-90s. Yeah, you, you've just blown through that. So you you're you were ahead of the curve before it was, hit, I don't know, whatever That's because I like my big Ed Repka art as large as I could get it, you know. Got to get your cool nuclear assault It's because and, you like a lot of full boxes to carry every time you move. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, that is the the end result. But no, it's it's an interesting debate and discussion to have. Is where's the industry going? First of all, but second of all, if depending on where the industry is going, how does the market react to that? Right. So, if we were to see more independent creators going to trades, would it foster a different type of readership? How would readership differ if things were more black and white, more manga based, where you're paying between Ten ninety nine and thirteen dollars for, you know, a two hundred page book. Is there something to be had there? You know. Yeah, but uh, Walking Dead just went to three ninety nine, and it's a it's one of the best selling comics on the market. Certainly, the best selling independent comic on the market. Right. It's black and white. It always has been black and white. If Walking Dead can move its black and white. Monthly book up to three ninety nine and have no problem selling it. Then I don't, I don't know if black and white is necessarily a uh, loss leader anymore for 
I caveat that with a big butt. I Go like ahead. big butts, and I cannot lie. That I would say that Walking Dead is a complete outlier because the television show mm-hmm. breeds speculators, and speculators buy every issue in bulk quantities. We see that threes, fives, sevens, twelves in some cases because they want to catch that first appearance. Well, yeah, that is going to buoy your sales numbers. So if you were to take that down, just like we were talking with Gideon Falls, if you were to take that A, B, and C cover down and just make it to one, I would challenge and say that Walking Dead, while it still would be at least in the top five of independent books, I don't think it has near the lead that it has if you were to take out all the multiple copy spec buyers and just have one per person. No, I think it does. I think it does. Um, See, Walking Dead, and this will be a total tangent, but... What the heck? Where are we going? Now, I've, I've been buying Walking Dead since it first started. And I was smart enough to buy... It was, actually, it wasn't smart. It was just dumb luck. I like to go back and say I was smart enough to do it. It makes me look good. But um, I bought a couple copies of the first six issues off the shelf. I bought a run. I, I bought it for myself. And I remember sitting at um, sitting at my computer in CBR or Newsarama, one of the two, had a like a six-page preview of it. And I was a big zombie fan. I've been a big zombie fans since well before the blow up i grew up watching like dawn of the dead and day of the dead and in my uh grand my cousin and i would rent all the zombie movies yeah, and you watching. read all the twilight books oh well, that's there, vampires uh, sorry vampires that's well that was you wasn't me that was you they were read to me now there's one of those young adult series that you liked which one which what, what was it harry potter i love harry potter yeah i guess that was it i never did it for me but Anyway, so no zombies. Yeah. So <laughs> Walking Dead, I was told I I saw the preview and I said, like, "Hey, that's cool. Looks yeah. looks neat." And I was also a big fan of the stand. And the beginning of Walking Dead made me think of the stand a lot. Um where he's he's walking around the hospital and there's, you know, the dead bodies everywhere like when uh uh Stu Redmond is in the the CDC quarantine center. So anyway, it it just kind of it something in it reacted to a lot of the things that I liked and the imagery that I liked and and so I, I picked a couple copies up. So Walking Dead, I brought a, co- uh, a set of it for my uncle of the first six issues because he was the guy who got me into comics. And he didn't really like it, so he gave it back to me. And then my roommate, who I had checked the book out, um, couldn't make his rent one month. And so he sold me all of his comics, which included the first six issues of Walking Dead. So over over the course of, of a, like a year, I had multiple runs of the first six issues of Walking Dead. Um, eventually I sold one, one set to pay for, um, uh, I bought my wife's engagement ring selling a set of Walking Dead, which is, and it was not a skimpy engagement ring. Um, but I, so I've been following Walking Dead since it first came out and it's, I own a couple number ones and nine, eight. And, um, I follow the, the Walking Dead market very closely. I will tell you that the Walking Dead market is declining right yeah. now. The back issue market is is not it's a, it's a bear market. And um, if you are sitting on anything past issue one right now, maybe issue two, maybe issue nineteen, which is the first Michonne, I would get rid of it. I mean, I would, I would strike now before strike the now cold. before cold. the. It, Colder, yeah, because uh, I cannot believe in the la- just in one year, the amount we have Walking Dead books in the shop right now. 
that a year ago would have been gone. We've had them for months, and a year that a year ago would have been gone in a day. Yep. And we've got some earlier issues in the back wall that have been there now for two months and yeah. gone to several shows. And again, a year ago, those would have been gone immediately. People are just really cooling to the series in general. Now, one of the things that I kick myself for all the time is back in the 90s when I really first started jumping on eBay, there was – everybody knows what the Ninja Turtles, they were a – it was a huge hot book out, right, right out of the gate. Yep. Blew up, started the whole black and white craze. And then eventually kind of died off. And in the 90s, you could get the book pretty cheap. And I was bidding on a first printing of Turtles 1 on eBay, and it might have been 98 or 99. And I remember putting my high bid at $50, and it sold for 53 Never forget that. And I was like, ah, I'll just get the next one when it shows up, you know. And price only went up and up and up. And I remember the, the grade of that book was like a very fine, and now that could have been like a $5,000 book, $6,000 book. Walking Dead is never, ever going to hit the – the bottom valley like Turtles 1 did in the 90s because everybody's aware of it. It also right. has a, a, almost a, a print run. Uh, what was print run of Walking Dead is like 7,500? Yeah, for the first issue. So it's got a, a, a much bigger print run than Turtles 1 did. Um, but you look at all the people now that are getting their Walking Deads graded. They're getting, getting them slabbed. They're putting them away. Or people like me that have multiples and... Um, it's never going to, there's going to be some point that the book will never dip below because people right. will just buy it up to, to hoard it. Right. But I do think a lot of those other issues, like your first governor, who cares? He hasn't been in the show for a while. Oops. Sorry. Uh, spoiler. Um, <laughs> it's like six year old spoiler. A lot of those books just aren't important anymore. Once the, the characters are killed off on, you know, in the comic, Okay, well, they might still show up on TV or they'll show up on TV. Then they get killed off on TV. That first appearance, who cares anymore? You know, at that point, the spec is gone. Um, The first issue is always going to be a blue chip book. Probably one of the three most important uh, modern spec books. It'll hold its value forever. It holds some value. But I I would get rid of the rest. And I don't know. That's just my little side tangent to someone who's been a... Walking Dead collector from the beginning. Get rid of it. I got rid of everything. I just have... Um, just got your first... I've just got the number ones. Yeah, and for me, I I own the first two compendiums, and I've been stuck halfway through the first compendium for three years now. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't grab me. I should just get rid of the compendiums. No, I, I, th- I think it's, it's still great. I mean, the show... I haven't watched the show for a couple of years, and every time I try, it's... Uh, but the, uh, the book... Has has been still fantastic as far as I'm concerned. It's been really good. Um, but anyway, all that to say, we were talking about Walking Dead and its power is a, is a black and white book to get four dollars a month. Right. I don't. I I just. I guess it's Walking Dead at this point. They could charge five dollars a month and people would still buy it. Yeah, I think you, your spec people would probably stay, start to wane just a hair on some of their titles yeah. or their copy amount of copies of that book. But yeah, so you know, going to OGN, I guess we'll have to see what happens. I mean, I'm not going to say it won't happen because it, it sure feels like there will be certain situations where people try it and go to it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Will it work? Who knows? Kirkman's tried. He tried a few, right? He had, um, well, I don't, I don't know if it was an OGN as much as just like a big oversized hardcover, but he did that book with Liefeld called The Infinite. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that one's, that's in bargain bins everywhere. Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I guess we can kind of tie it all back together and finish up with the, my initial thought that I, I wonder if we get the reverse image revolution with right. a lot of these guys that are, that are going to start going back to the big two with big ideas. Because again, ultimately, if, if the goal is to, to make money, now, you know, Brubaker doesn't have to because Brubaker, you're going to get those top tier, top 1% guys that will never have to. Right. Brian K. Vaughn's never going to have to go. Ed Brubaker, we were, to, you know, Garth Ennis even told us, um, he'll, you know, he'll write what he wants. And if there's. And if the editor, whoever doesn't want that story in there, fine. Yeah. You know, he, he's, these are guys that are lucky enough and talented enough. Right. It's not just, well, they've earned luck. it. They've earned, they've that earned right. it. Right. They've earned it where they're able to tell the stories that they want to tell. But, you know, maybe maybe some of those stories are going to be with who's who's to say that I don't know. Uh, Vaughn doesn't cook up a really cool Spider-Man story, and you know, Marvel would take it in a heartbeat. If they, but yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I think I'm hoping that we see some of these ideas that that creators and writers are saying are we're putting them out and they're just flaming out. Nobody's you know if if you apply that idea to an existing character, maybe. And I'm not saying not to have original ideas, but I think there are, if that is a problem that's happening again and again and again, is there is there a different route to take to tell right. these stories? No, I, I think that that's true. And it, it'll be interesting to see if that loop comes complete. Mm-hmm. It really will. And then the question, of course, will be, who are those independent creators that are up and coming like a Donny Cates that make that jump? The other way, instead of starting at one, going to indie, and then coming back, are there people that just start in indie and then jump? What, and with Bendis, who's a great example, is obviously he started as an indie guy. Yep. He's still putting, you know, he's still putting stuff out. You know, about once every two years, he had a Scarlet or a, um, what was his last? Uh, Goldfish was that one of them? Yeah, he had. I think it was. Um, he had Jinx. You. Uh, Powers, United of States of Murder Inc. was yeah, an yeah. icon series, a mini he had. So he still puts puts that stuff out every once in a while, but I think when he might not be the best go to example of applying original ideas to superhero stuff. Um, as we've said many times before, I like Bendis a lot on the right material, on the wrong material, on a lot of his superhero stuff. I think he's not great. But he, he, the guy's still a hell of a storyteller. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's telling the stories that he wants to tell. He got big enough for, he said, okay, I want to write Superman now. Boom. He's over at DC. He's writing action, you know, and, and they're giving him action starting on 1,000. You have to have, you have to have earned that cred to jump on to that book. Right. And, or at least a, a, a big landmark issue like that. The okay. first book of the big two to hit that number. And to have action and Superman stop and consolidate into a six issue or a five issue, whatever it's going to be. That six issues, I think, that he's pushing out. I mean, well, it's six issues called Man of Steel, which has been done before. So, 
Right. But to be able to have that clout to come over, mm-hmm. and that's where you start with a new publisher, that's, like you said, very few people can pull that off. It would have been really impressive if he pulled a full burn and wrote Andrew Man of Steel. <laughs> was it? Because Bendis was an artist too, right? I mean, I think he, I think he did. He illustrated some 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 of his early own stories. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Certainly not not now. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but well, I don't know if we really have much more to add to that. I think we kind of hit a lot of different points. Yeah. All to say, we have our experience in our store, and we know we operate knowing how our store sells and, mm-hmm. and what we do. Um, and obviously, if the OGN market is where where people are going to start going, then we're going to adjust accordingly as our customers adjust to it. Yeah. So well, and with again with OGNs, there is. There's more risk for a retailer, but there's more reward. Right. And one of the um, one of the things I remember a creator telling us about the image nine ninety nine thing versus image sixteen ninety nine thing is that they make so much less on the nine ninety nine than they do on the sixteen ninety nine, which is why. And I specifically say sixteen ninety nine versus fourteen ninety nine because if you look at a lot of those image volume ones now, they are sixteen ninety nine, and a lot of times they're for like. Five issues, you know, of a $3 book sometimes. Mm-hmm. There, I remember just there was another one recently that came out where the trade costs more than if you would have bought the individual issues together, which I always think is a horrible idea. Yeah. No matter who the publisher is, that's something that should never know, uh, be done. <coughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um, there's, there's just – there's more risk on our end because we can – if we order – five copies of the first issue and we only sell two, we can FOC down issue three at least. You know, maybe Sometimes issue two. Sometimes if we're lucky, issue two. Yeah, yeah, if we get very lucky, we can FOC two down a little bit. And a lot of times you can tell too after the first comes out on a Wednesday, if it's Sunday and you haven't sold a single copy of it and you can still jump on the FOC by Monday and, and bring two down, it's probably worth doing now that's easy enough for us because if it's a, a three ninety nine image book, we've we've only spent two dollars per right. And if we, you know, so we're in it for ten bucks, and maybe we sell two copies eventually, and we're only out two. Not a good scenario. Obviously, that's certainly not optimal. Well, you're not Op- making money, right? Uh, but if we sell, let's say that we we buy um, three OGNs at seventeen bucks a pop, and they sit on the shelf, and we only sell one. Well, FOC doesn't even exist for that because we just bought the whole first arc. Right. You know? Now, it's going to have more more legs. It's not going to be a disposable monthly. We're going to be able to put it on a shelf and go back to it's try to sell it all story. the time. Right, right exactly. Right. It's more of a fully produced product. But it's still a lot more risk on our end. Yeah. I- agreed. So, I guess then... If someone was to abort single issues and go straight to trade, the lower the price point, the better. Well, now going back to Busick and and Astro City, and, and Kurt Busick's one of my favorite writers of all time. Um, and I, you know, I talked to you right away about Busick. Yep. And 
recommended some music books and whatnot. But Astro City, I was I was I remember reading when the first issue came out, and I loved it. And I bought the first, I bought that first miniseries, and I bought the half issue through Wizard when they offered it, and then I bought the ongoing when that came out into the Confessor arc we were talking uh, with some people about earlier. Yep. And I remember buying it when they had the fi- he finally put out that twelve issue maxi series that had the the origin of the Silver Agent that had that everyone had just sort of alluded to during the course of the previous however many issues. Um, but then it just sort of started coming out randomly and sporadically and get a couple issues out and have a different new mini series or maxi series or have a new ongoing. And it got to the point where with Astro city, I sort of gave, I, I had a hard time sort of tracking it Yeah, because it came out so infrequently that I just thought, well, I'll just wait and I'll get the trades when they come out. And I think Astro city, because of that release rate and that that That, schedule is off cadence. Right, it is something that will ultimately benefit a lot more because I had planned to only buy Astro City and trades as it was, so that'll that'll benefit me, and it'll benefit at least us as a retailer because we're not going to have to order those issues. And right, it's hard. But the other problem, you know, what the, the big issue with Astro City is the first couple trades are out of print. We can't get them through Diamond. We can get random trades like we can get like Volume Four, Six, Nine. 10, 13, but we can't get the big ones that you need to hook people with it. So hopefully they get those back in print. Bet you we could have a discussion with someone tomorrow I to ask that question. I bet we will. And maybe we should make that a point of discussion. Astro City Omnibus. Now that I would buy. Oh my gosh. Tell me about it. That I would buy. Omnibus Volume 1. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm done. All right. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for hanging in there with us in the slightly echoey recording studio of the Holiday Inn Express. Um, I think, James, our plan is to come tomorrow night after the kind of the full day of retailer discussions with Diamond and, and some of the publishers mm-hmm. come back and kind of recap what we heard. Yeah, we did that last year. Yeah. Um, last year, we'll be a man short this year. Yeah, no Clint, Clint this year. Clint stout with us last year. Which means the, we'll be able to actually walk around the hotel room without stepping on somebody. Yeah, of the Clint cast. We have the Clint... Uh, we were both on How much does that work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're a couple land sharks at this point. <laughs> yeah. I always thought it should have been the Clint cast. That would have been good. That was a good one. Anyways, so thanks for uh, joining in and listening to us. We'll come back... Um, We'll try and get the next episode up in a day or so so that you can get it fresh and hot before Bleeding Cool ruins everything for you. Well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so thanks for uh, joining us, and we'll talk to you next time. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to this episode of the Cowcast. You can find us on all the main social media outlets, including Facebook at facebook.com slash on Twitter at Incredicow, or on Instagram at Cowabunga Comics. To send an email to us directly, send it to podcast at cowabungacomics.com, or to join in the discussion, you can hop on our new Cowabunga Comics forum at forums.cowabungacomics, that's cowabunga with a K, dot com. 